Thank you for tuning into the Future of Health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Welcome to our virtual town hall, and thank you so, so much for being here. I am your host, Dr. James Simmons. And before we get started, a couple of particulars, you know, we got to get out the way. Uh, I want to thank Providence for bringing all of these amazing voices and smiling faces that you see in front of you here together. I also, of course, want to thank Dash Radio for giving us this platform to talk about. And listen, we are about to go there. We are about to get real deep about mental health, particularly in black and brown communities, and we're gonna go there. So a little bit more on that. But before we go into the particulars, I want everyone here to have an opportunity to introduce themselves. Um, so everyone you're seeing here, Rosie, how about we start with you? Hi, my name is Rosa Mercado, and I'm an author, a podcast host, and you know, just a Latina living life and just have gone through so many experiences, excited to be able to share and talk about so many things today. So I'm th thankful to be here. Awesome. All right, Joe, you're up. Uh, my name is Joe Savage, and I'm Samoan American, and I'm with Island Block Radio. Excellent. Very good. You're Najaha. Yes, my name is Yonajaha Lone Wolf. I am a proud Ogallala Lakota Native American and a Black woman and a national community organizer and activist and also um, a part of Indigenous Peoples Movement. Very good. Nina Chantel. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Nina Chantel. I um, am a radio and television personality. And um, I've been doing this for quite some time. So currently I am on in San Francisco Bay Area on a station called Star 101.3, also in Los Angeles on 104.3 My FM, in Chicago on 103.5 Kiss FM. And um, yeah, just iHeartRadio nationwide because then we're gonna take our time. But um, I am very honored to be on a panel with such talented, beautiful people, so. Thank you to you too, Dr. James. I've seen your work. You know what you're doing. Ah, thank you very much, Nina. I got I got a little, just a little funny story about Nina coming up. Um, uh oh. And I know. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all stay tuned for that. Um, and and Dr. Vanessa, say hi. Hey everyone. I'm Vanessa Casillas. I'm a licensed psychologist by training. Um, a proud Mexican woman, and excited to be here to help represent Providence. Excellent. Very good. All right. So now you know who's in the room. We're going to have an opportunity to talk a little bit more about each one of us. And everyone you see is going to be sharing their stories, including me, maybe a little bit, by the way, which I suppose I said I'm Dr. James Simmons, but um, I am Dr. James Simmons. I'm a nurse practitioner by uh, training. I also am a host. Um, I do a lot of uh, guest medical expert work on TV, radio, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I currently am working on the front lines of COVID um, and it's, it's intense. And I know that that will come up for sure in our mental health conversation as well. Um, I've been a mental health advocate for a very, very long time after losing uh, a family member to suicide early on in life um, and having some other family who really, really grapple with mental health every day. And I am um, biracial, I am black and white and though I have no official uh, legal tribal affiliation, family tells me there's a lot of tribal blood there. So I'm here to represent the black and brown folks and the queer folks as well. So before we get started for everybody watching, I kind of want to level set a little bit 
about why we're here and what we're talking about and to bring us all into the same space. Actually, I'm a really big fan of doing this. I want everyone, everyone watching, everyone listening, everyone in the room, I want everyone to just take a moment. We're going to breathe together. We're just going to all come together in the same place. So exhale all the breath out of your mouth. Big inhale in through your nose. Big one out through your mouth. One more of those in through your nose. And out through your mouth. Thank you for doing that with me. And there is something so incredibly powerful about something that we were given from the moment we were born and that is our breath and how that breath can connect us to people around us. It can connect us to our situation and it can absolutely connect us to our emotions and to our mental health for sure. Amen. So, all right, let's not trip. <laughs> we are living in very challenging and traumatic times right now. Um, from COVID-19 to climate change, obviously political, social, and economic unrest, much overdue. This year has profoundly affected our mental health and our well-being. And we got to talk about this because Black, Indigenous, and Latinx populations are being hit harder than white populations. Let's just be real, particularly when it comes to mental health issues. We, as a community, as a collective Black and Brown community, are more than two times more likely to have mental health issues, but 30% less likely to seek help when we need it. Why is that? Multifactorial, my partner hates that word, but I love it because there are a lot of issues to it, like access to mental health can be expensive uh, for individuals who maybe may not have insurance. There might not be available spaces where there are mental health providers who are black and brown in communities where black and brown people live. And the research is very, very clear. We get better health from people who have our shared experience, and that includes on racial uh, boundaries. There also can be a distrust of the system. There aren't therapists of color readily available. There's cultural stigmas associated with asking for help. And for those who might be undocumented, there's basically no system at all. So all of this has to change. And speaking out about mental health inequities for Black, Indigenous, and Latinx populations is just the beginning. So our panelists, everybody you see here today, these voices you hear today will discuss how their own communities and lives have been affected and ideas for how we can work together to make it better. Last little piece here, we're gonna get real. I've been given the green light from the powers that be at Providence and Dash to have some real conversation here. So our conversation is gonna cover a lot of real world issues and mental health issues if you are struggling if we bring up topics that are sensitive to you, that are triggering for you, that bring up feelings that might be difficult for you, if you need to talk to someone, there is always help available. Please reach out to the crisis text line. You just text TALK to 741741 or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. There's always someone there to talk to you if you need help or if you need to know how to help someone else, they're there to help you out with that. So all of that being said, last thing for me personally, I think when, it's, when we're talking about mental health issues, particularly with uh, Black, Indigenous, and Latinx populations, and just in general, I think it's we have to be sort of 
open to being okay making mistakes. We have to sort of be open to having difficult conversations that might not come out right. So we have legends in the game, legends, Joe Savage, Nina Chantel on like on being on the radio, right? Being national personas. But sometimes y'all know, even when you are doing your thing on the radio, Nina, you, you might mess up. That's okay. That's how we learn. That's how we grow, right? So this is why there's a cross-sectional representation of, of everyone here. So I might say black and brown populations, but please don't get it twisted. I'm not lumping us all together. The, the mental health you know, struggles that Joe is gonna talk about with his community are categorically different than to men mental health issues that may be affecting me as a, a black man from the hood who identifies as queer, right? Those things can be very, very different. So I just wanna make sure that we all have open space to talk freely and to correct ourselves and to correct each other if we need to, if we make mistakes, but that it's also okay to make those mistakes because this is how we learn and grow. So Rosie, since you came in here with this good lighting <laughs> and uh, <laughs> making all the rest of us look bad, um, I'm gonna kind of start <laughs> picking on you. And again, this doesn't have to be back to me every time. Yes, I'm the host, yes, I'm the moderator, but I want everyone to be able to jump in. This is a conversation, all right? So Rosa, you've shared publicly about um, being married at 19, um, having a child, and then being left to raise that child on your own. Um, and yeah. I think that is a, a pretty intense place to start. Like right there at 19, how is that impacting your mental health? You know what, starting at the age of 19, you not, you're not prepared for number one, failure, failed relationship. Um, you're not given a handbook on how to raise a child and then let alone how to deal with your own emotions of, you know, being scared, not knowing what to do. And then also, you know, the stigma that comes with, you know, Latina women, it's like, you, you know what, you devote yourself to your kids and there's no time to think about things that are going wrong. There's no time, like you, you're like in it, like you need to be strong and just go at it. And there was like a sense of shame of being able to say, look, I, I feel depressed or because number one, if I were to say that I felt depressed back then, um, it was what's wrong with you. Or if, you know, I failed at a relationship just to talk about the failure of a relationship and being a single mom at that age, you know, if I say that something happened, what did you do to cause it? Number one. And then number two, what's wrong with you? Nobody's going to love me or look at me the same way. There's something broken about me. So I think really being able to learn from that experience, what I learned is number one, I need to check in with myself to how am I feeling? How do I feel towards a certain moment in my life? Is that something that's holding me back? And then number two, if you need help, it's okay to ask for help. It doesn't make you any less worthy, less lovable. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Um, and you know what? I think that we're so fearful of what other people's perceptions are of us that we close ourselves off, but yet there's something that's going on within us that eventually will explode and it'll come out in different ways. And I think that's one of the reasons that I was so motivated to just be authentic and just look, this is who I am. And I've walked not this path once, but being left in relationships three times, it's not the easiest thing that, you know, to deal with. And I think it's okay to be able to look and say, hey, like I fell, but I could get back up. I fell and I need help. Like someone help me, I need help. To verbalize, I need help was really, really important for me to learn because I didn't know at age 19 that it was okay. Um, it was so, I was so worried about judgment. I was so worried mm -hmm. about looking weak. And coming from a Latina family, you know, I was raised, you're a strong woman. You get up and yes, you, girl. you're not crying. There's yes. no time for crying. Like right. if you cry, that is weakness. Weakness is not acceptable. 
Are we sisters? Are we cousins? Are we in the same family? I feel like I'm talking to myself. It's so important that we talk about, it. and I think just as women in general. I yes, mean, girl. Women in general, um, feeling that weakness or just feeling alone and not being able to just, I, I think the biggest thing is it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to act, you know, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to feel angry. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel sadness, but what's not okay is to stay there and to get out of that. We need to figure out, number one, we have to ask for help. Two, look for mentorship. Three, figure out who we're hanging around with. And then four, the biggest one, verbalize, I'm not okay. I'm Amen. not okay. Just saying that is a big, big step. Right. Demi, Demi's teaching us stuff. Is that Demi's song, right? Demi Lovato, it's okay not to be okay. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to pick up on that. And Nina, it sounds like I, you have something to add to this too. Because you, the, I think there's a moment, right? We, I think it's a lot easier to say, Okay, ask for help, figure out that you need help and then ask for it. But Rosie, what was that if you can think back to that? Or even now, we do it all the time. We all do it as, as adults every day. What was that moment, that thing that pushed you over the edge to be able to ask for help? Because it's like, I know y'all were talking about being sisters. I feel like it's the same thing in, in you know, black culture too. Like, nope, don't ask for help. Nope, you're cool. Don't, don't let anybody know that you're crazy or whatever. You know, the, that stuff comes up. And at some point you have to, there's something that pushes you over the edge to say, yeah, too bad. I need to ask for help. What was that for you, Rosie? Oh, it was a rippling effect. It was first the constant gain weight, the weight, the weight, um, gaining constant weight because I was overeating. Mm -hmm. So I, I was trying to figure out, like, understand me and my body and my emotions and my thoughts. And body, mind, and soul are all connected. So when we hold on to something, which is negative emotion, our thoughts, it all affects us, you know, internally. And it, you know, everything that happens around us is a reflection of our internal self. So paying attention that I started gaining weight like crazy. I was overeating. I constantly was crying. I self-isolated. Um, I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was completely depressed, completely sad. And when this didn't change for six, seven, eight, nine months, I just, I hit rock bottom where I just felt myself like finding myself in that spiral of going deeper and deeper into depression and not finding a way out of it. And the first person that I told was my mom. And from there, it was just like, I had to start researching. So that it was that moment that it was like, I had hit rock bottom. It was, it was just getting worse and worse. And the thing is that I did not want to leave my room. I closed myself off. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And just the constant, like I would start crying out of nowhere and I didn't understand what was going on with me. Mm. And the thing is, I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. I didn't have anybody that I could talk to and I didn't try to talk to anybody as well. So I really had to, when I hit rock bottom, it was just really self-examining and understanding that it's to acknowledge for myself that I was not okay. And it took me eight months to say, I am not okay. I am feeling all this and I don't understand what I'm feeling and I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm just completely sad. I'm completely depressed. And this is taking a, a toll on my mom, my body, mind, and soul. And granted that I had a baby with, was the biggest thing that pushed me. It's like, if I'm not present for myself and I'm not taking care of me, how am I supposed to take care of her? Mm. And I think being able to, to verbalize that and then start searching, like not in the first verbalizing it. And then looking online for help and just trying to find connected dots and just saying, God, help me. Like spirituality was something that I found throughout that. So God help me. But talking to people that understood therapists, coaches, like really trying to connect the dots and it all came together. But the, it was really eight months of being deep down in depression. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. I really, 
I appreciate it. And I think it's so it's incredibly relatable, right? I feel like we've all been there in that moment where sometimes that first thing that you say that that thing is I'm not okay. Yeah. Right. Sometimes that's just it. And it's, it's to not front on yourself. It's to not front on everyone else around you and what's going on in the world. And I don't, I have to be honest, I might be a little suspicious of anybody here in 2020 who's like, I'm great. I'm cute. I'm good. <laughs> Cause I mean, we might have moments where we're doing well, but I feel like if you are really conceptualizing what's going on in the world right now, there's at least a small part of you that is not, that is not good. Right. So just saying that thing. So Rosie, thank you. Thank you so much for that. Nina, I want to kind of give you an opportunity here to talk a little bit about, um, you know, as an extension of what Rosie started and talking about being a Latina in a, in a very, very male dominated industry, that being radio and your experience with talking about mental health, particularly, you know, you were saying, wait, are we sisters? So it sounds like you had kind of a similar <laughs> experience growing, growing up as well. Well, you know, I, I, when everybody was introducing themselves and I was doing so, I failed to tell you that, yeah, you know, I'm also um, Latina, I'm Mexican. Um, my mom is Mexican and Spaniard. She looks like a huera. She's got, you know, strawberry blonde hair, very light skin and green eyes. Ooh, and, yeah, and then my dad, he's Mexican and Italian. So I look like my dad, but my mom's from Durango, Santiago Papasquero. And anybody that knows, it's like, they call it, you know, somos alacranas, we're scorpions. So, you know, we're fierce, we're strong. And my, my mom, believe me, has that attitude. And so that's, I get it from my mama, the outspoken blunt part, you know? Mm -hmm. And then my dad's side, you know, he's from Guanajuato. And so I grew up around like going for summers to actual Mexico. And I'm not talking like vacation Mexico, you know, your little Cabo and Cozumel. I'm talking like we would have to go, um, you have to pay money where the water goes out for after like 10 minutes and you and your sister better hurry up and share that water. It's like the real stuff, right? My grandfather having a rancho and whatnot. So when I tell you I'm Mexican, I'm like super Mexican. People don't get that. People always say, you sound like you're Puerto Rican from New York, but I'm like Mexican from the South side of Chicago. Now that being said, you know, anybody who's really into their heritage, like I said, like Rosie and I were talking, well, when she was talking about it and I was relating to her, you are raised to like, hey, suck it up and keep it moving. Like, we don't have time for that. Like, hey, you know, somebody's making the tortillas, your great grandmother's back there and she's 95 years old and she's um, making tortillas. You're not about to sit here and go play. And what are you crying about? Yeah, that was your goat that we just oh. murdered and oh. we told you that you're eating a goat right now. That's your friend Chivito, but oh, get over it. Did you ever hear growing up, I'll give you something to cry about. Yes, yes, my mom used to pinch the bottom of my arm right here on the little fat. She'd be like, do you want to cry? You want me to give you something to cry about? Or get a seat al baño? You want to go to the bathroom? And, hey, no shade on my mom because she made me the strong woman I am today. So I'm, I'm proud of how I was raised because it wouldn't have made me the woman that I am today. But that being said, this is why I do understand when listeners you know, would talk to me about their issues or I'm able to speak on these things because of growing up on the South side of Chicago. You know what? We didn't have much, but my family didn't make me feel like we didn't. Um, I was, you know, I learned to be humble uh, through growing up. You, you're humble because you know you didn't have much. And I feel that the Lord has given me a talent, the power of the microphone, to be able to spread positivity and life lessons to others and relate. And that being said, that's why I was saying with Rosie, you know, I get it. I know what you're talking about because, you know, I couldn't imagine being 19 years old and having a child. And I'm sure that you do feel like it's a failed thing because, you were supposed to be the one that went to school. You were supposed to be the one who, you know, got married and, 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 you know, 
followed through the right way. But now that you're doing this, you better succeed. And that's the way that they look at it. And, um, you know, I turned out like almost like the black sheep of the family for a while because I have, I'm not married. And honestly, I do not care to be, I'm not in a relationship and guess what? I am happily single and I have no drama and I've Love never it. lived with a man in my life and no, there's nothing wrong with me at my age. Cause people are then are like, what's wrong with her? There's nothing wrong with nothing. me. And there's nothing wrong with nothing. you. If you're single at a certain age, and you're living your best life by yourself. It's okay to be going to bed alone and waking up alone and having the raccoon eye. Cause you didn't take off your eye makeup and nobody's <laughs> going to have to look at you. Um, and, and I don't, I don't want children. And yes, I'm Mexican. And guess what? I'm tired of the family saying, pero tus primas y tus primos ya tienen niños, that they've already got kids and they're married and you're the last one. I'm like, dude, do you not realize that we all took different paths in our world? My path, my, I now realize after working with the Boys and Girls Club, maybe I wasn't meant to have children, not because I hate kids or anything like that. I personally don't choose to have anything growing in me and popping anything out and waking up in the middle of the night. That's not for me, but more power to my ladies, because you know what? We are the only humans that can do that. And that's powerful. So more power to my ladies, but I don't want it. So I feel like the children or the people that I'm supposed to be caring for are just the rest of the world because I love people and mm -hmm. I love helping others. And so people need to normalize. It's okay that you're a single woman at a certain age and you're not married and you don't want children. And because you're Mexican, it doesn't mean you need to go and be in the kitchen and be cooking and have those kids. Guess what? I learned how to cook during a pandemic because I had to. Nina, you know what I love that you're touching on is that you're touching on something that's really, really important. And I think this goes across all cultures, just being a human being. Low self-esteem comes a lot also from constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And I think we just need Word. to understand there's a season for everything. We all live different lives. We all have different choices. And just because we have different choices, different opinions, different points of view, doesn't make us bad. It just makes us different. And that's what's yes. unique about us. So I think being able to celebrate our own uniqueness that, you know, you don't want to be in a relationship. You know, there's a lot of people that don't want to be in a relationship. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Stop comparing you to other people. That is yeah. the life that you've chosen and you're celebrating and you're living in it. That's wonderful. And for those that who, who are in a relationship or want to, there's nothing wrong with wanting that. So I think just it's being able to have the courage of saying, I'm different. It's okay. This is who I am. I, I love you for who you are, but I also love me for the relationship that I have with myself and my own authentic truth. Yes, girl. High five through the Zoom. There's something I think you really touched on, Nina, that I think is really incredible. And it, I think it's a perfect segue to your Najma about taking care of, it might not be about taking care of whether with you have you have that instinct, that paternal, maternal instinct, whatever it is, to take care of something that doesn't necessarily always translate to your own mm -hmm. children. And I know you're Najaha, you you have a lot of passion around taking care of your community and the, the unique, particularly mental health issues that are present for your individual communities, First Nation, Native Americans, and your tribal communities within that. So I wonder if, you know, for those watching and listening might not understand what some of those unique mental health issues are. Um, so can you, you know, talk a little bit about that and a little bit how, you know, you seem to have a really a lot of passion around taking care of your community and, and advocating. 
Yeah, um, my late mother, Juanetta Lone Wolf, um, who is from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, she passed away of lung cancer in 2003, and she was the one that raised me. And she did such an amazing job to just make sure that I know my Native side, but also my Black side. And, you know, she couldn't teach me how to be a Black woman, but she could teach me how to be a woman and also how to be an Indigenous woman. And then she also taught me, um, she also kept a great amount of Black women around me. Um, so I was around a very healing type of space. My mother um, was a counselor for drug and alcohol abuse prevention, um, substance abuse, and it was um, called Native Connections. It's in Phoenix, Arizona. And so um, she also helped a lot of young people get out of gangs. You know, the mental health situation, especially within um, Native American communities and on reservations, it's, it's very, very depressing. Um, but let's look at it like this. I imagine when we watch television, right? We don't see any Native American representation. Mm -hmm. So imagine these five-year-olds, these six-year-olds, these preteens, these teenagers, even adults, they don't see themselves. So when we, I mean, we are really back in the like 1950s in regards to representation. We're fighting what you saw in Standing Rock, North Dakota. It was a fight of our existence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, during the civil rights movement, it was a fight of resistance. But we are fighting for our existence to show that, that 7 million of us are here. Mm -hmm. 7 million Native Americans are here. The only time a lot of people want to talk about Native Americans is during the time of so-called Christopher Columbus Day, which is so many states are now saying it's um, Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, Halloween, people want to dress up as, you know, chiefs and Pocahontas and all of that. Um, so we have this, you know, not sure costume, you know, we are not a costume. And then you have thanks, then you have Thanksgiving, the National Day of Mourning, where people are celebrating the so many Native Americans that were murdered in Massachusetts. So that's the only time that you would see representation. It was crazy. I was talking to my, to my friend and I was all like, you know, growing up in the 80s and the 90s, some of us did wear Chief Wahoo. Some of us did wear Braves. Some of, because it was the only representation, even though we knew how racist mm. it was. Even though we knew this is not who we are. It wasn't until the early 2000s that we just started seeing Native Americans coming up with their own, like making it more urban and, you know, like insurgents, you know, um, there's so many great brands out there that are now like it's by us and it's for us. And this is who we are. Um, so when you talk about mental health, that is like really the root. It's imagine living in a country that was stolen from you. That's generational trauma. And then you, in 2020, you're like, where am I? And the only movies or television representation that they show is during the Cowboys and Indians. Mm. They don't talk about the recent people of today. They don't talk about Russell Means. They don't talk about Wilma Mankiller. They don't talk about Juanetta Lone with my mother. They don't, you know, um, there, it's not enough. It's not enough. And myself being Black and Native, American, I feel like I, I'm, I'm living in, like, I get it twice because of the fact that I'm looking at, okay, the mental health stigma, like, you know, within the black community, we don't talk about getting, getting therapy or anything like that. But in the native community, where are the resources for therapy? 
Right. There isn't no resources for therapy for mental health. We have the highest rate of suicide. Then mm-hmm. be because of the fact that young people, I mean, as low as young as like 13 years old, you know, um, my cousin shot himself around this time last year. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, suicide is when you come to my reservation in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, you will see nothing but signs of young people that just, you know, they're, they're honoring and in remembrance, but they were all suicide. And it is so, it's so horrific. Then you have um, diabetes because of poor foods or alcoholism. Once again, because of the fact that they're not, you know, we're not feeling represented. So we have, we're all the way, this conversation within Native American communities on mental health, we're way at the beginning. Like we're, we're at, like, you know, we're at the beginning of what is mental health? Wow. We have to have, we're at the beginning of that conversation. We're not advanced to like, you know, where we're at, where we're talking about now, even on this Zoom, we're not advanced in regards to like, okay, well, who do you talk to? And then what resources do my people have to talk to? There is well, no you know, if I can interrupt you and just let you know that you, you're doing it. You yeah, are, are bringing awareness even to me. I was not aware of all of this. I will now pay attention. And I'm sure that everybody that you're representing, you know, you right now are in a room and while you're talking on Zoom, you might not realize that while you're saying that and you're hurting and I can hear the pain in your voice. And I'm sorry for all of your losses as well. Um, you need to know that you your mother did a great job because she taught you and you are putting that word out there. You're the voice. So congratulations because you're bringing awareness and I'm sure that you're going to be remembered by being the person who brought awareness. And I am here to let you know, and we'll talk later after zoom, but if you need any support, I would love to help you. Thank you so much. I would say that, you know, we have over 500 native American um, tribes in the United States. That means that's 500 different representations, 500 different regalia, languages, culture, 500. And I would say it's, um, you know, I've been on, I've been on major platforms like the Breakfast Club, Hot 97, talking about Indigenous Peoples Day, talking about this is who we are. But um, it's, it, it's, there has to be more of us. And I'm always pulling in more. You know, like I said, we're back at from the 50s when Dr. King was like, all right, Jesse. Come on, Sharpton. <laughs> now there's so many in every single city, you know. So we're so we're really at the beginning. Um, I want to give a shout out to you know Taboo from Black Eyed Peas. I took I invited him to come up to Standing Rock, and he too is um, you know Mexican, and I forgot his other his tribal affiliation. But you know he's really helping me, like myself and other people. Like you know, let's bring more Native American representation in the forefront. Um, so we can provide resources of mental health and, and you know, and dr- drug and alcohol prevention. So, you know, we're getting there. But like I said, we are really at the beginning of this of this fight for existence. And I, I cannot echo enough what what Nina said in terms of your how whatever, whatever resources that we can provide you Providence dash those of us who are sitting here, we all have platforms, we all have voices, we all whatever, you know, I think it's important because you know, and, and I, I, again, I was given the green light to go here, so I'm gonna go here. No one is gonna do this for us but us, right? Because they- That's right. They, they not doing it for us already. That's and right. so the changes that need to be made in whatever individual communities have to start from us. And 
continue by being supported by us, right? As a black man marching in these streets in the summer, yeah. after my father and mother marched in those streets in the 60s, it wasn't just black folks out there and we need that help, but, but it, it starts with us, right? So you, you are doing the thing. And I, again, I, and anyone listening, everyone here on this platform, obviously, as Nina sh- said, any way that we can support you. And, you know, I think you bring up something that's very interesting and I'm going a little bit off topic here, but, but Joe, I, I think there is a very interesting, I'm gonna get a little deep on y'all here. <laughs> I think there is a very, very interesting connection between imperialism mm. and mental health in black, brown, indigenous, island, native communities who, and do y'all understand what I mean by imperialism, right? So white folks come in and take over your land and that at some point in time, or take you from your land, and at some point in time, that has happened to all of us in our ancestry sitting here. And I think there's a really interesting connection between maybe the challenges faced by First Nations American, indigenous American communities that Yonajaha just finished talking about and what your particular community, Joe, might be facing as well in terms of historical precedent with mental health. Does that, does that connection make sense? I took y'all on a little bit of journey here. I took y'all on a journey. I hope you're with me here. Hey, you hey, said you were gonna go there, so you right? went there, go ahead. I went there, I went there. Hey, Doc, you're doing your homework, but uh, definitely, there, de- there definitely is a connection. You know, being uh, Samoan American, I'm first generation, so my parents actually came here from, from American Samoa and Samoa, right? And so the the actual relationship with America and uh, with Britain, I mean, there's there's definitely some some, you know, there's there's some uh, resonance that that actually you know brought us over here, um, you know, talking about us coming here in the '50s. I mean, we're we're barely coming here. So when you're talking about not having access and uh, not having representation, we're really like the minor, the minority within the minority, right? And so a lot of the things when we actually came here from from Samoa, you know, we you know uh, my, when my parents came here, you know, it was during it was during that time, right? It was you know civil rights. The thing was was that back in the islands, you didn't have to really worry about that because we owned the uh, we owned the land, right? And so they were they were dealing with civil rights here, and then at the same time dealing with with stuff with assimilation and acculturation, right? And so. Growing up in the hood, I, I actually grew up right here in Carson. They call it Little Samoa. Uh, that that's between Long Beach and, and, and Compton, right? And so there's a there's a huge Samoa uh, American community in uh, Compton and in Long Beach. And so, um, really trying to figure out, you know, during this time, and like again, kind of finding our way, and um, you know, creating a platform like uh, which we have right now. And the interesting thing about it is that. You know, it's we've been here since the 50s, right? There's actually only a few media platforms, and we're one of the ones that well, we actually own one of them, and we connected with Dash Radio. And so, I mean, with regards to resources to the community, you know, um, me coming home from college, right, growing up in the hood, you know, losing my my older brother uh, to uh, uh, being murdered by a cop, right, and then losing a lot of my friends to the to the to the streets. You know, I actually went away and 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 got a football scholarship. Right, came back home, and my first thing was to actually give back to the community because Aww. I seen I seen a lot of my folks, um, 
you know, I came back to the same neighborhood, right? And so I've seen a lot of that, a lot of my folks. And, and the thing that, that I was really touched by was just, I was just tired of burying my peoples, right? A lot of my folks was, uh, are, are still involved in what we see, especially if you're from Los Angeles, uh, blood and equipment, right? And so if you, if you really trace that back to the beginning of it, I mean, we, we were immigrants at the time. So to kind of take up what that was and, and still be involved in something like that, that was never our fight because that, that, that comes from black folks, right? right. And being Samoan, but then growing up in the hood, they, they, you know, black folks pretty much embraced us. And right. so we took up the fight. And so then now, present day, you got Samoans that are just killing Samoans just because of where you stay. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being raised in that, and then me being what, man, I'm, I just turned 42, uh, you know, a couple of years back, you know, I started to see, you know, thanks to Rosie, man, I, it, it seemed everything that she talked about, that was, that was pretty much me. I figured out that I was depressed, mm. right? Straight up, you know what I mean? And, and it was like, you know, reaching out to my family and reaching out to my, my friends, it's interesting because, you know, especially in the industry that we're in, you know, you're the, you're the, you know, you're the happy go lucky, mm -hmm. you're the personable person. So when I, when I figured out and, and the, the interesting thing, the way I figured out that I was depressed was that it was on Instagram. I was reading, yeah. I was reading somebody's post and it was like, Oh, these are all some of the symptoms of being depressed. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, that's me. See, it does help when people put out information and it, it talk does. about it, you know, because somebody reached out to you. You know, I mean, well, meaning, yeah, you like know, it, that that touched you, and that's how you saw it. Look at that. I seen it. I, I read it, and I was like, "Yo, that's me." And then it's interesting because, like Rose, like man, you know, God bless you, Rose. But it the the that that whole process that that you went through as far as like figuring out what you was like. Again, I'm used to being active. I'm used to be get you know getting out there, and all of a sudden, I wasn't. Right. Mm. I, I was just locked up in the room. I didn't feel like coming out. You know what I mean? But then I was still like living my life. But then I just started to really kind of, you know, separate myself from people. And then after a while, I just didn't want to go out anymore. No, I, I think something that, that, that you're touching on and, and I and I love this. And I think like you found this information on Instagram. But the thing is, you know, God guided you and everything, and you came across this post and you found out, but the biggest thing is being able to accept it. And I just really want to push that message out to be able to accept it, even if you don't tell two people. You know, one thing that I found like within Latinos, one in every 10 Latinos will even think about seeking a doctor if they feel like they have a mental illness or they feel like they're in depression or there's something going on. One in out of every 10 Latinos. Wow. So for you to acknowledge that you're like, oh my God, I read this post, that's me, I'm going through that. It is such a brave and courageous thing. And it doesn't mean that as human beings we're broken. It just means like, hey, you know, I need help. And it's okay for me to say like, I'm going through stuff. Like we're human beings, there's, there's seasons for everything. There's highs, there's lows, and there's different periods in our life. And to be able to celebrate the victories, it's wonderful. But to acknowledge when we're down deep in depression or, or just feeling sad or not feeling it, like to acknowledge that, that's such a huge thing. So I hope people listen to what you went through and acknowledge that you had a moment where you weren't feeling right, where you weren't in the right place, where there was things going on and that you were able to come out of that because I think the biggest step is just to say, I'm not right. Like there's something yeah. going on with me and you know what? I don't know what I need to do next, but I need help. And then 
to be able to reach out for that help. That help is out there. We just got to reach out for it. We got to find it. Can I ask you, Joe, how, uh, once you related to that message, um, what did you do next? You know, it's you know, what's interesting was uh, I'm very close to my, my, my siblings, right? Because there's 10 of us. All, all real brothers and sisters, same for mom and dad. Dang, your mom was pregnant her whole life. Fam, right. I could not do it again. Her whole, her whole life. Her whole life she was pregnant. Right? So, she never got to drink. No, just yeah, kidding. Pretty, pretty much, right? But, uh, you know, I actually called my, my brother. And uh, the interesting thing about that, that conversation was I actually, you know, he was the first one I told him. I said, man, I, I think I'm depressed. And I still remember that conversation because he just glazed over it. Mm. Like, like we we didn't even talk about it. Mm. Like, like, and and I, I started telling some of my friends about it. And and, they, and again, I don't, you know, I, I don't think they believed me because they thought I was like, you know, I don't know if they just thought I was messing around, but then I literally was like asking for help. I said, hey, I think I'm depressed. I don't know what to do about this. And, and I, I mean, I think, sorry to interrupt you, Joe, but that, that to me, you just said everything right there. Yeah. In certain communities, when you reach out for help, they don't say, oh, boy, you must be playing. You know, you fine. You cool. You cool. And, and then and I think what happens in black and brown communities is we get to that point, like Rosie said, and you're like, damn, I am not. I was about to use the word straight, <laughs> but I got to stop doing that. as a queer man. I got to stop using that word as good. Right. Y'all know where I'm coming from. But you're like, I'm not good. Right. I'm down. I'm bad. I'm, I'm in a place. Y'all, I need help. And then even people like your boys or the people around you are like, oh, you playing. You know what I mean? Or you know what? To, just to get to that point where someone glazes over it or doesn't acknowledge, you have to stand up for what you're feeling and saying, hey, look, I understand that you think like I'm okay, but I'm telling you right now, I'm going to say it one more time. I'm not okay. I'm not. You're the first person I'm telling you. So, you know, if you're not going to say nothing, just hear me out. To have the strength to tell someone, don't glaze over because my emotions are valid, that is you standing up for your voice and saying, this is valid, don't glaze over it. And it also teaches other people, sometimes we don't know when we glaze over stuff or we put stuff to the side. Sometimes we don't know because we are conditioned to do that. Hey, I'm not gonna pay attention to that because that's too scary. I don't wanna acknowledge that you're going through that. You're gonna be okay, let's just touch it up. You'll be okay, all right, what's next? How's your day going? But hearing Rosie and hearing Joe, it seems to me that you knew who your confidants were going to be. So you knew exactly who to go to, right? So you went to your mother, you're like, I know that's the person I'm gonna go to. Joe, unfortunately, went to a person and they were like, so then he knew who was like next. And the fact is, is that you did not give up, Joe. And so yes. that you did not give up when one person does glaze over it. You know, hey, if I've already made that first step by admitting the problem yeah. and wanting to seek help, then I'm going to go to the next person. So I'm sorry to, I just really am interested to know. So after whatever, you said this to your boys and then finally who paid attention? How long did it take? And then, yeah, I want to know the rest, please. Uh, really, it was, it was my other siblings. Right. So okay. I actually reached out to my sister and then she was like, Hey, you know what? You may, you may want to, you know, you know, get a counselor. And I was like, well, and again, in my mind, I was like, man, counselor is only for, for crazy people. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, nobody in my family, nobody in my community, they don't even have resources like that for Pacific Islanders. How did and, you find one? Uh, you know what? Talking I, to somebody right now. That's all I'm at. That's why I'm asking those questions. Absolutely. No, no, no. I mean, uh, really it was actually, um, uh, a good friend of mine that works for an, uh, a nonprofit organization that actually service, you know, I actually called them because they still work there. And I was like, hey, you know what? Are there any like counseling services or, or free or 
or uh, like, you know, for, for Pacific Islanders, like, well, there's, there's some for Asian Pacific Islanders. And so for those that, that don't know, um, because again, we're, we're a minority within a minority. And for a long time, we've been clumped in with Asians, right? And so a lot of times when they uh, distribute like resources, we end up getting clumped in. And so it doesn't look as bad because, you know, when you look at the, the, the greater Asian community, you know, they're, they're doing fairly well as opposed to Pacific Islanders that, you know, that don't get those, it, it doesn't trickle down to it basically. And so, um, yeah, I actually went to the organization and I've actually been seeing a, a therapist for the past year. Oh, wow. congratulations. That is wow. amazing, Joe. Right, congratulations. Thank you. thank you for sharing with us. And I, I mean, you, you, you make, you're making my segue for me, Joe. Dr. Casillas, this is, this is you, right. Cue Vanessa. Right. So when we talk about, I mean, Nina took us there, right? Like yeah. when we're taught, someone is listening right now who is in the place where Joe was or was in a place where Rosie talked about being or the, where any of us have been. And they're like, but there are no, I'm brown, I'm queer, I'm both, I'm all of these whatever yeah. hyphens. Where are my resources? What do I do? Like as, as the, the mental health professional on, on this Zoom right now, like what, what's the next steps? What do you do? Yeah, I mean... First and foremost, I want to commend you, Joe, for asking for exactly what you wanted to in a therapist. Because I, we are all entitled to do that. We are all entitled to meet with someone, to be able to talk to someone who has our shared experiences, who understands where we're coming from. So I commend you for that, because I think that's huge. I think some people, it's hard enough to seek the services and then to ask for exactly what you want or who you want to see can be challenging. I mean, I think the reality of the situation is talking to someone, letting someone know that you aren't okay and that you are interested in support. I think putting words to that in and of itself is so incredibly powerful. I think suffering in silence is just, it adds to the weight of whatever we're dealing with in the first place. Um, I encourage people at this point, the, the majority of mental health services, behavioral health services, and a lot of organizations are offered in medical settings in addition to clinicians who are in private practice um, in the community. So what I would say is lean into whoever you have the relationship with and the rapport with to feel like you can be honest. And if you say, well, I don't wanna to talk to my medical doctor about that because that's not really what he or she or they do, I would, I would challenge you on that. You know, anyone who you're connecting with, who you care about, who you know cares about you, feel free to speak up because I think whole health um, is gaining so much focus for us these days. So talking to someone, asking for help, you know, I think it can be helpful, obviously, to talk to people in our social support network, but for some people, talking to a professional is going to be key. Um, there are culturally specific resources in most communities. I want to be honest, though, too, that while they do exist in small pockets, we also have a huge shortage of them across the country. 85% of behavioral health clinicians identify as white. Um, so when you think about that compared to what our actual population looks like. More than 50% of us are brown or black. Yes. That's, those numbers don't add up. They don't add up and it's problematic and I think it's stigmatizing and can be a barrier to seeking care when we need it. Um, while it's problematic, 
I hope that most people don't let that stand in the way of trying to access services and treatment and support when they do need it. Because I think even though there is something super powerful about a shared experience, I do think as mental health clinicians, behavioral health clinicians, it is absolutely our goal to be culturally competent, be able to provide culturally sensitive and inclusive treatment to people. Um, so it's an issue. We need to deal with it. Graduate programs need to deal with it. We need to start early, even before graduate programs. Um, we need to, you know, let people know that this is a field that exists. You know, how we feel physically impacts the way we feel emotionally and vice versa. And this is important. You know, our, our, our emotional well-being is just as important as our physical well-being. And yes, they, they are so connected, like you said. There, there isn't, I think that's, if, if people get anything from being, from being the medical provider here, yeah. I think if people take anything away from this conversation, it's that those two things go together and they are not, uh, am I saying inseparable or separable? You cannot separate yeah. your, your mental and physical health. You can't, it's impossible to. They, they go along with each other and so, you know, for, for those people who do have the, the access and the resources to reach out to mental health professionals, I think if COVID has done anything, if there's a silver lining for this, it's gotten people really much more comfortable seeking care electronically. Yes. And so you don't have to physically go somewhere to get really fantastic, you know, healthcare. And I, I know, you know, Providence had something on the fold of a 500% increase in their, in their uh, medically related video visitations in a month, in the first yeah. month of the pandemic. I know that that has increased since then. But I, I kind of want to back up just a little bit because I think that there is something that can be really scary about reaching out to a counselor, right? Joe, <laughs> first time reaching out was to a loved one. Then it was ultimately like someone was like, oh, maybe you need counseling, you need to reach out. And I kind of want to just, if we can circle back and, and think about, so we've clearly identified mental health issues in black and brown communities um, are, are different. And, and there is lack of representation and there are sort of nuances that go into how we address this as communities. But what can we do and what can others do who are listening, who whether they have a platform or not, or uh, you know, everyone's got a big voice, um, what can we do in our individual communities to start to change that conversation? And you know, Najah, you brought up a, lo a lot of it earlier, but I feel like you were talking about this conversation as back in the 50s, you know, for your community. What, what are some things that we can do now that we're talking about this in the open to sort of bring everybody forward and make mental health so topical, so important, so that people get it, right? That the first response to when someone Joe, like Joe reaches out, it's like, oh no, man, you're cool. You know, how, how do we do that? How do we start to change that? So um, I've been on the front line fighting against police brutality, environmental injustices from Flint, Standing Rock, Baltimore. Uh, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, um, just on the front lines of a lot of fights. And they could really put a toll on you when you are in the midst of talking to families that have lost their loved ones to police brutality. Um, especially within the um, native and black and brown communities, you know, uh, which is the capacity of that I work in. And we had COVID, we we're dealing with COVID. Then 
the day that I organized a solidarity rally march for George Floyd in Atlanta, Georgia at the CNN building, that morning I found out that I have lung cancer. And I had to, I was in a tough position where I was like, oh my God. And then I have to go meet over 30,000 people at the CNN building of an event of a march that I just organized in less than 24 hours. And I was just like, I, oh my God. So for, um, so I'm dealing with lung cancer. And oh in the God. midst of this, I'm just sitting here, like I'm 42 years old. I have a nine-year-old and a 19-year-old. And Girl, you look good. Thank you so much. So the thing is, is that I'm trying, I was like, okay, what can I do that could still help our people, but I can't put myself just because I have to keep myself at a high frequency in order to fight this cancer. So I was like, what can I do to be able to help our people, but not be um, in the fight like that? You know, I helped Mayor Keisha Bottoms put together a policing reform. Uh, we just did a lot of things in Atlanta, Georgia, as well as nationally. I, I work a, very closely with Until Freedom, Tamika Mallory, my son, as well as Sean King. Mm -hmm. Sean King is a good friend of mine, you know, so he was helping me through a lot of these cases and everything. And then I just took a pause. I went to Miami, went out there by the water and just like, okay, what do you want me to do, God? What is the next step? Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, the basis of community development is self-improvement. And so I started this um, on the third Sunday of every month called Revolutionary Healing. And I pick a place in Georgia outside and it's free, and I provide resources of um, mental health therapists, yoga, meditation, fitness, uh, financial literacy, um, vegan, agriculture, like whatever anyone can come do. Come on now. Come on. And, I'm loving all of this. And I felt like we need to be, because I felt like in the movement, we talk about it. We say, go get mental health. Go get a therapist. But I felt like what we were missing is providing the space, an adult space, you know, right. what I'm saying? like a cool, fun right. space where, um, where everyone could come and meet and get therapy. And so we started it in, um, in September on the third Sunday. We've had um, them franchise boys come. Um, <laughs> Love we've it. Had, we've had um, yogis. We've had like, you know, um, reality stars. And, but no one knows who's going to be there. That's the thing. The flyer is very simple. It just says revolutionary healing. That's it. I didn't want people to come because of who's going to be there and right. what's going to happen. I wanted people to come organically and say, I need healing. I need healing. And children are welcome. So we just had ours for um, November and we had it on, um, on a black farm over 30 horses that were um, basically rescue horses that this guy trained and we went horseback riding. Oh, that's horses nice. have so much great medicine. You know, uh, we had Capoeira. We have, I mean, it was just really amazing that um, I'm taking a break for December, but we're going to have another one the next um, January 17th in Georgia. And so just providing, and, and we don't pay our presenters. It's just like, if you feel like you want to provide an hour of your time, and to help our people, then let's do that, you know? And so I love it because it's it's an avenue for a certain demographic of people that are not able 
to, you know, to get these resources, like what Joel was saying. And, you know, so we're giving the resources to the people in a dope way. And we have like hip hop performers and, and um, everything. And then we also built um, my, my spiritual brother. He came down from Oklahoma and built a sweat, a sweat lodge ceremony. So we now have a sweat lodge in Georgia. So we're also bringing that component as well for those that would like to come the day before, the day after revolutionary healing. I feel like there's something, you know, now I'm like, damn, I wish I lived in Atlanta. Like, right. So I can go to <laughs> revolutionary healing, but right. Dr. Simmons, can I, can I just follow up really fast? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, how are you doing? You, um, you said, you said lung cancer and then we didn't, you don't have to talk about it if you don't want to, but, I know, I, I'm fine. but, but, but I, I, how I'm, are you? Thank you for that. Um, I'm speaking publicly about it because I came to a certain place of, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, um, in regards to my healing. And um, it's a scary thing. Yesterday, um, they found um, cancer in my cervix as well. And so I had surgery yesterday. Oh my gosh. Yesterday on the, they took out the tumors yesterday. And, um, and then I have over a hundred, over a hundred cancer cells in both of my lungs. I'm, I just swam with dolphins last week. Um, I just feel like, see, I saw my mother go through this and she did it with so much strength. She did it with so much, you know, the last place that she went to was Hawaii. Like, you know, she was just like, and she passed December 21st, you know? And so I believe that, you know, we have a divine purpose and I'm very more purpose driven. When you are faced with a life threatening, like something could, like, this is a way that you could go. You you begin to, your intentions of your day, um, what you do, what you say, how you spend your time is more purpose and intentful. Um, because of the fact that you don't know, you don't know if tomorrow is going to be the day. You are and- a blessing on this earth because you are mm-hmm. talking to somebody today too. Just like I said about Joe, I mean, somebody that may have just gotten diagnosed with anything. No, it didn't have to be cancer, anything. Yeah. And your attitude and your spirit is very helpful. As we all know, you have to be, if you can't get yourself out of your own funk, Nobody else, I could talk to you until you're blue in the face, uh, but you know, Vanessa, Dr. Simmons, they could talk to you until they're blue in the face. But if you and your spirit and your soul and your mind, you don't get yourself out of that funk, it's not going to happen. So girl, you're, you're just, yeah. you're a blessing. I think it's important that we have to encourage ourselves in the trauma that we're going through and the things that we're going through. You know, sometimes it could be something just just encourage yourself and say, I can do it. And, you know, my yeah. mother used to say, I want to live. And, um, not, and I, I was like, okay, not until now. I'm like, yes, I want to live. I, I have a nine-year-old and a 19-year-old and I have family and friends that are rooting for me and saying, you know, no, it's no, you know, they're giving me all types of scientists and every single Dr. Sebi, whatever, and you know, and all types of stuff they're giving me. But the thing is, is that that's a blessing. And I think that another thing is understanding to receive love. And I think as activists or organizers or people that, you know, like what, what Rosie was saying in her, you know, in her culture, like we as indigenous women, we constantly are giving, giving, giving. And for the first time, I'm like, how do I receive? Love. Yeah. Uh, that's powerful you know yeah. I, I i just want to share this and this this comes up and for anybody that's listening right now for anybody that's going through you know depression just you know traumatic moments or they've just been given you know 
something so strong, you know, they've been given bad news or they've gone through a breakup or they're just, you know, right now through COVID, we've really been pushed to face our own fears, you know, the reality of our lifestyle, the reality of who we are. We, we've been pushed to look inward and sometimes we don't like what we see. So, you know, with what you just shared, which thank you for being vulnerable and strong enough at the same time to be able to share something that you've been given. And thank you for being you know, um, sharing your testimony of, of strength of looking at that moment. But I think two things that we can ask when someone's going through that, and if you're going through that, because you are, you, you're strong, you saw your mother go through it. And instead of choosing to be a victim of your circumstances, you're really looking at this as I have a purpose. I have a voice. I have a story. What am I going to do with this? What is this teaching me? And where am I going to go with this? And not everybody sometimes when they go through that has the strength to go through that. So this is something that I hope you're encouraged to say, I don't like what I'm dealing with. I don't like the news that I've been told, but what quality questions can I ask myself to overcome this? And if you're listening right now, one thing is what makes me happy and what can I learn from this? What is this teaching me? And the moment you could ask quality questions in really strong and dark circumstances, this is when you choose to not be a victim of your circumstances, but this is when you could rise and just understand that each of us have, has power to our voice, there's a story that we all live through. And I just wanna commend you on being strength, on showing love, and also being able to receive love is so, so important. So just encouraging people to, it's okay, it's okay to receive love because the, the as you receive, you're able to give. If you don't fill your cup, there's nothing to give. It will soon enough be empty. And we gotta constantly be able to give, but also be able to receive that's what makes us feel alive and that's what keeps us going on our purpose and to feel like we can receive just because we are valuable yes as a human being yes but i think a lot of us and it sounds like this is sort of cross-culturally a lot of us feel like well it's okay for me to receive whatever this is because i have done this thing for a person or because i feel this role for this for someone else in the family right or with your friends, no, you can just receive that and you can just take care of your own mental health and physical health because you are valuable as a human being. And I think ultimately that, that message of you being valuable simply because you are a human being does not get translated, does not get delivered to black and brown communities in the way that it should. And so sometimes we just don't like at the at the end of the day, bottom line, we just don't feel like we're worth it. Mm-hmm. My, there's some something's wrong in my head and I know it, but no one has told me repeatedly throughout my life that I can trust my own voice, that I can trust that I know what's wrong within my head or not even wrong, but that something is in my head that I don't like or something that is in my body that I don't like. We get told time and time again, directly and indirectly that we're not valuable enough to to have those expressions and those feelings and to trust that and so you know i i you know, Najah, i think you you've had me on the verge of tears the entire time um but uh, to to be able to talk about your diagnoses and everything that's going on in your life openly and to to say i think this was the powerful point that i took away from you know what you shared with us is that you are valuable as a human to receive the love and the care that you need mentally and physically right now, just because of who you are. Not because of revolutionary healing, not because of your activism work, not because of all of this, just because of who you are. And I think everyone listening 
needs needs to know that. And I, I think everyone listening as well also needs to know, Dr. Casillas, what what are some of the resources, particularly Providence specific, um, and that that people can reach out to electronically? We brought that up, or physically in yeah. person, or what are some of those things when they are ready to receive that care? Yeah. Um, I think the what I want to say to you just real quick about your knowledge's work is pushing the information out, I think, is something we can all do and a gift we can all give anyone that's in any of our circles that we run in. Because I think waiting for people to ask for help, waiting for people to let us know they need us um, may be too late in so many instances. And people might not need that information now, but they might need it later or they might know someone who needs that information about resources, therapists, whatever it might be. As far as Providence, Providence's goal is absolutely to be able to address behavioral health issues, mental health issues, be able to address our emotional well-being at every point of care. Behavioral health is a part of care at every point of care. And so we have services you know, across our system. Um, many of our medical groups are embedding behavioral health support into our primary care clinics. So I encourage you, if you see your doctor, aren't doing well or struggling with something, please speak up. Oftentimes those services are available in that same office that you see your primary care provider. Um, but in addition to that, there's a whole huge behavioral health care continuum. So if you need a higher level of service, chemical dependency, eating disorders, to see a psychiatric prescriber, um, potentially even more acute services like inpatient support, all that stuff exists within Providence. We wanna be able to provide patients with the care they need wherever they present. Um, and two, it's, it is our goal as an organization, is our belief as an organization in whole health, um, that we can't separate those things. They aren't different. What impacts us physically, like I said, impacts the way we feel emotionally and vice versa. Um, often too, you know, Pre-COVID, I think one silver lining of COVID for us is it totally accelerated access to telehealth. You know, oftentimes I think a barrier to seeking behavioral health services was, okay, here's this phone number, go talk to this person at this other place. Um, and not knowing who was gonna be on the other end of that phone or on the other end of that visit, oftentimes stood in the way of seeking those services. Um, people can now get access to care in the comfort of their own home. Um, with social support around them if that's needed too. So telehealth, you know, one silver lining for me for sure of this COVID thing, because I think it is here to stay. Um, and once we're through this, I think people will, you know, absolutely be able to access face-to-face -face care or continue to seek support through telehealth, but. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Casillas. I think, you know, there. This is what's so funny. The the there are about a hundred thousand questions that I had, and that Providence put together, and we got to about three of them. And I'm glad. I'm glad we didn't get to the scripted questions um, because I feel like there was a lot of authenticity uh, in this conversation and a lot of realness um, and and emotion that we need to learn as people regardless of where we're from to be comfortable with and and sometimes it's difficult right let's be real 
when we hear the words cancer, we think death. And that makes us all really uncomfortable. And you know, Naja, how to be able to, to share that with all of us. Rosie, your experiences about getting to that place of like, something's wrong. I got to do something about this. All of those are emotions that we're often taught to ignore, right? Joe, the, the strength it took for you to get to a place where you to reach out to a loved one and be like, I, I need help, right? That all of that is huge. And I, I think that that all the questions in the world about, you know, what can we do? You know, Rosie, I had all these questions for you about, you know, empowering young women and all of that. At the end of the day, I think as examples in our communities of being real and authentic and talking about this in a real way is how we empower our communities. And so in that spirit, and unfortunately in the spirit of the fact that we gotta wrap up, unfortunately, um, I just, I'm gonna give everybody a chance to just real briefly, 10, 15 seconds, you know, just some, some parting words to, to whomever, to your younger self who might be listening to this conversation right now, what are you gonna say, who has not quite been able to take that step to receive care, to reach out for that help that they need? Um, Nina, I'm gonna start with you. Um, I would just say that love yourself, accept who you are. If there's something that's going on now would be the time to evaluate it because that's one thing about 2020 is that we've had a chance to figure out what it is that we want to change, uh, what is gonna give us comfortability and just how strong we really are. Um, we've all gotten through a lot at this point. And for me, I, I more so feel like I want to help others continuously. And I know how hard it is, like we didn't really get into, but being a Latina, a woman um, coming from not that much to a male dominated uh, industry where I've heard, seen and experienced a lot. And let me tell you, a sister is still here and didn't do it with an agent or any other mouthpiece. She's got her own and it's okay Love to it. have your own mouthpiece. Love it. Yes, it and is. That's what I want to say. Thank you, Nina. By the way, I just have to, you know, I was going to try to embarrass Nina earlier, but I stayed in Chicago for almost 15 years where I was like a little bit of a, of a, I think the kids say fangirl. For oh, Nina, really? Windy, Windy City Live and whatever and everything. So I know all about Nina from Chicago back oh, in the day. I'm a and fan I, too. I lived in Chicago as well. So I'm a uh -huh. fan too. Oh my God, That's I right. love you guys. When Providence hey, reached out and was like, we want you to have this town hall on Dash. Nina Chantel's going to be there. I was like, wait, what? What? Nina Chantel, stop. Oh, I'm still on Windy City Live and Kiss FM. You guys still repping the shy. Love it. Love it. Always got to rep the shy. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Of course, you've been, you've, been a, you've been a powerful, influential voice for us black and brown folks for a very long time, Nina. Don't get it twisted. Thank you. You know um, I'm honest. Absolutely. I love it. Joe, um, you know, I set this up as what would you say to your younger self, but really just, you know, parting words or, you know, I, I love that. I'm going to stick with that. What would you say to your younger self listening to this on Dash right now talking about mental health? Um, I would say to my younger self, uh, this is the saying that my, my, my brother, rest in peace, always used. And it was uh, get up and get some more. Mm. And so mm. when you really feel that you're in that funk, and you know, uh, I don't, I don't know what people believe in, but whatever higher power that you do believe in, man, really kind of hold on to that. And um, when you really feel that you, you know, at that bottom, get up and get some more. I love it. I love it, Rosie. I think there is no shame in in who we are as human beings. Um, I've said it before. 
there's moments that we celebrate and there's moments where we fall down and there's a learning lesson when we fall down. And if you have a hard time communicating and you're listening to this, you have a hard time saying, I need help. Um, one thing that I, I would have you know, told myself when I was younger, start writing down your emotions. If you don't know what's going on and you have a hard time communicating it, grab a journal, write down what you're feeling, find a way to express yourself and just really find that place of, of healing. Nobody could do the work but you. So you have to start knocking on doors. You need to start writing. You need to start figuring what you're feeling and just know that what you're feeling is valid. It's okay. And only you could create the change. You got to start working on that now. That's mm. good advice. Excellent. I love that tangible. Write it down, man. God, that's something, isn't it? Yo, Najaha, what would you say to you? I mean, you've said a lot to us today. What would you say to your younger self as well with this conversation? So it's just a paragraph, if you don't mind. Absolutely. But I, I wrote a letter to my younger self um, oh. last month for my own mental health. Um, Dear young Yonajaha, you are divinely created out of love. Even at times when you think you weren't, you are. Don't be so hard on yourself to be perfect. The universe will bring those around you that love your imperfections. You weren't created to be other people's standards. You are a unique jewel, a precious jewel, a squash blossom. Friends will come and go, taking those lessons that they gave you, but don't take their departures personal. Listen to your spirit on what to stay from and what to embrace. You don't have to give all the time. Balance it by receiving as well. Stop loving difficult people. You'll be happier in the mm. long run. Mm. Don't apologize for your self-care. You aren't the sins of your parents. Their life is your life. Their life is their life, not yours. Build your spirit of discernment. Little Yanajaha, you're going to be okay. Don't try to sugarcoat or rush your healing process. Slow down, reflect, repair, and rejuvenate. Save your money. Say yes to more opportunities. <laughs> Not everyone is against you. Travel more, document, document your life more. This is a letter to my younger self, and I advise everyone that's tuning in to also write a letter to your younger self. Love it, girl. That was wow. so good. So good. Man. Love that. That was unbelievable. And we didn't have that prepared, y'all, by the way. This is no. not. This is all impromptu. I was like, oh, I have a letter to my younger self. And it also, I also want to say um, Indigenous Peoples Movement, it's anytime you all want to use it as your platform, please do. We have about a half a million followers on all of our platforms. Um, and we speak to indigenous people from all over the world. So um, if you want to do a live on whatever that you all are doing, you know, please come to indigenous people's movement or to be more involved. But I also think um, providing these resources on a live on our, on our social media platform would be great as well, especially for uh, First Nations people. Yo, I gotta say something. A toda mi gente latina que está por allá afuera, si sí se puede, no tengan miedo a lo que está allá afuera, no tengan miedo a lo que están pasando. Entreguesen, busquen ayuda, si sí se puede. Van a estar bien, pero recuerden, el primer paso es cuidarse ustedes mismos. Así es que yo les estoy hablando a toda mi gente latina. Cuídense, ustedes lo merecen, ustedes tienen valor, tienen fuerza, tienen poder en su voz. Sí, lo yes. que dice, Eso sí. Cierto. I only understood some of the words, especially si se fuera. I was like, yes! I love it. That was everything. Listen, you brought up social media. There's going to be links. You know, obviously this is playing on Dash Radio. It's replaying on Twitch as well. This is also going to go up on the Providence and Providence Health System platforms. I know that we're all going to share this information around as well. Nina Chantel, Joe Savage. Rosie Mercado, 
Dr. Vanessa Casillas, on behalf of you, your Naja Halon Wolf, everyone, y'all, please thank you so, so much for sharing yourselves and being authentic here. Thank everyone for tuning in. Um, and please, if you have questions, comments, we wanna hear them. We're gonna continue this conversation. Providence has promised me that, that we are gonna continue this conversation. This is not a one and done because the, the mental health of our communities is not a one and done. So we are gonna continue this conversation and please do not forget, if you ever need help or you need to know how to help someone, there are resources at your fingertips. The crisis text line, just text TALK to 741741 or reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. Thank you everyone again for being here. I really appreciate y'all. We're gonna do it again soon. Have great holidays. We'll talk to you then. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.